Hello and welcome to another edition of Monster Island Radio. I'm Ben and I'm joined by the newly married. Graham. <laughs> oh yeah, we said Godzilla, you know, you're welcome if you want to drop in like, you know, in like the evening part of it. Um, but no, didn't actually respond to those requests. The evening part? Um, yeah, you know, like, you know, we didn't invite Godzilla to the ceremony. Oh, yes, and yes. I don't know if it was that which made them feel like, oh, well, I just won't come at all then. <laughs> or maybe they're trying to, like, phase some friends out after the, you know, pandemic. They're trying to maybe move away from, you know, oh, I haven't seen you for so long. Maybe this is my time to make an excuse and not. You know how it is. Yeah, you know, yeah. Weddings are weird, but no, no kaijis at the wedding, despite, you know, whatever. It's, you know, this is all personal. <laughs> <laughs> what a shame um so yeah we're we're back again and it happened again we had another big unplanned hiatus we did which is you know uh, sorry everyone there's <laughs> we, we didn't want to do that um i mean well for me i had you know quite a challenging year with the with a big house move and all of my recording equipment was in storage for a big portion of it mm. um along with the rest of our stuff uh and I, I was talking about Godzilla most of the time, but it just wasn't being recorded. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, I should have just rented some equipment or something where I was staying. Or record, nah. recorded on my phone. I don't know. Uh, well, And then, obviously, you know, we had uh, your wedding to contend with our free time as well. So, mm. you know. So, yeah, ha- how's how's married life? Is it is it weird to suddenly have lots of uh, free time not being consumed by planning? Um, it's no different. Yeah. No. It's it's uh, this, this is the thing with life. I think most people will agree. It's a bit like water, where it takes the it, it fills, you know, or like a goldfish. That's the thing, isn't it? You know, you have a pet goldfish and it, it grows to whatever size container you put it in. Yeah. So yeah, you know, one thing goes away and then other other things come along. So there's always something going on because you know that's just what it yeah. is. Yeah. So. Well, that's fine. If things were fine before, then they're fine now. um okay so enough of that chit chat so (laughs) what are we doing today we're covering two films today in essence so we're going to do the original 1954 godzilla as it is in japan so godzilla and the 1956 recut version for western markets which is godzilla king of the monsters which was cut and replete with additional footage for the west Mm. um so initially when we started this, we were going to say we were going to go backwards through the eras, but change of plan, we bought that really tasty Criterion box set of the Showa era. So we've bumped it up the schedule just to get our money's worth out of that box set now. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're, start, we're starting back at the beginning. Godzilla, 1954. So, I mean, I'm sure everyone is probably fully aware of everything we're about to say there's gonna be like i've seen no hot takes in this <laughs> whatsoever <laughs> but i'm gonna give a rundown of the summary anyway like i normally do um so yeah 1954 directed by ishiro honda um so we've got so we have three ships off the coast of japan are destroyed mysteriously one of which was a fishing boat from odo island um one of the island elder suspects that it's the ancient creature godzilla reporters come to the island to investigate when Godzilla attacks, leaving some of the villagers for dead and their homes in a wreck. The government send in paleontologist Kyohei Yamane to investigate the island and finds a trilobite 
in a in a radioactive footprint left by Godzilla and determines that Godzilla was a Jurassic creature awakened by hydrogen bomb testing. So the government don't want to release this information to the public yet, to everyone's dismay, and subsequently another 17 ships are lost at sea. Um, the military are then dispatched to kill Godzilla, but Yamane thinks that Godzilla should be studied and not killed. So the military up the ante after they fail to kill him and create a huge electrified, electrified fence around the coast so that they can kill Godzilla when he comes ashore. Uh, but when he surfaces again, he starts melting all the pylons with his atomic, his atomic breath and leaves the city in a burning wreck, resulting in hospitals being filled with survivors suffering radiation poisoning. So uh, they need a new plan. Now, somewhere in this foray, we have uh, uh, Yamane's daughter, Emiko, who was once engaged to Yamane's colleague, a scientist called Serizawa, who she left to be with the with the salvage captain crew Ogata so he went out and he went out to the um to inspect the wreckages didn't he salvage crew captain you yeah mean? the crew captain yeah Ogata. um he seems to have some sort of military connection yeah like, um you know he's a bit more of a man's man yeah maybe yeah. I don't know yeah. well anyway um I get the impression it's actually that the the engagement with Sarazawa is ongoing and it's an affair no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. 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 So no, not was once engaged, but it's still engaged too. So anyway, it turns out Sarah Zara is working on this uh, secret project called the Oxygen Destroyer, which destroys all the surrounding oxygen in water and liquefies any mass therein. Um, Emiko realizes that it could be the answer to stop Godzilla. So she and Ogata convince Sarah Zara uh, to use it against Godzilla, albeit reluctantly. Uh as he doesn't want his creation to fall into the wrong hands. So he prepares the weapon uh, and destroys his research. He and Nagata head out to Tokyo Bay with the Navy and go down to the seabed to plant the oxygen destroyer where Godzilla is resting. Nagata um, then returns to the surface, but Serizawa remains underwater so he can die along with his creation and ultimately kill Godzilla. He takes all the knowledge of his deadly weapon with yes, him so people can't use exactly. it exactly so um i'm pretty sure the first time i ever watched it was that bfi release that i got you for christmas about like 15 years ago christmas 2007 must, yeah i think it was um yeah. and so was that the version you saw first or did you see the us one first i'm not sure because I, I think no. you watched it bef before i ever did no, I hadn't ever seen it before I got that DVD. Oh, right. Um, I just was always very Godzilla, like, curious mm. from obviously, like, you know, from our childhood being the 98 um, American movie. Um, and, and, you know, I'd always had a... It, this is the thing is, it'd never been that easy to get hold of Godzilla movies. Especially um, in the UK. At, yeah, I mean, there was a few VHS releases, but certainly as a child you know sourcing that kind of thing in a pre-internet age wasn't that easy mm -hmm. and then it, with the prevalence of dvd um and and the internet we got to see a lot more godzilla during those university years yeah um so yeah that was really my first exposure to actually seeing the films despite having you know wanted to see them for a long time right so i actually only saw the american version um for this recording this week because i felt like i had seen it before but i think i've actually just seen other americanized versions because i you know I think um, I might be off. I might not be correct in saying this, but in Escape um, 
what's it king kong escapes i think has an american version okay um i don't think it, i don't think the 56 version of godzilla is the only example of a of a you know godzilla movie or a kaiju movie being reworked for an american audience with new scenes filmed i think they've done it a, a few times they have, yeah. so, so it's the kind of thing where it's like oh have i seen that have i not seen it but no like having seen watching this uh, you know the the 56 version now i was like no i've not seen this before right okay um, so yeah I, I have seen the you know since getting that dvd in 2008 i've watched um godzilla many times i think it's probably the godzilla movie i've seen the most and this is kind of different territory for us on monster island radio because we're usually either talking about a an action heavy movie that we really like or an action heavy movie that we don't like because you know we don't think it's that good whereas this is you know obviously it's a lot older it's a pure monster movie with like thriller and horror elements and it's obviously got a more it's got a stronger sort of revelry with with the whole atomic allegory which it's all about yeah um and normally when we come to godzilla and, and with the age that we are um we're coming at it from a more pop culture perspective of just like it's just this thing that just exists and you know mm. but when you try to put yourself in the mindset that this movie was made like you know nine short years after the oh, yeah. at- atomic attacks that you know a lot of the imagery um you have to kind of put the dated elements of the movie to one side and oh, just absolutely. kind of you know view it as as and a quite dramatic film i think i mean i when we first watched it together mm. i was struck at how how moved i was by it because i we had just watched king kong versus godzilla um you had a box set that had the, a lot of the kong movies yes i had those dvds yeah so we just watched that so i was expecting something in the same vein i was expecting it to be like a you know schlocky b-movie type thing yeah more of a popcorn affair really. yeah absolutely um but this, like, I just remember being kind of, like, taken aback after we watched it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, so, th- I mean, this was released in in the boom of the radioactive monster movie era in the 50s. So, mm. um, with stuff like, you know, The Blob, Tarantula, and stuff like that. And I, the Beast and 20,000 Fathoms. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think it's fair to lump this film in with those as much as I enjoy them. I love that kind of, you know, that's, I love that era. But this, yes, yeah, this is so much more serious, like sincere in, in tone and premise. Um, that it, it, I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's fair to categorise it with those. So like, yeah, for, I mean, for some context, in case anyone doesn't know, um, but I'm sure most people listening probably do, um, like one of the catalysts, for making this movie was the Castle Bravo H-bomb incident at the Bikini Atoll, where a fishing boat called the Lucky Dragon Number no. Five, they were they got caught up in the blast radius of this um, H-bomb testing, um, and there's some like direct parallels of that incident in the movie. Like so, I mean, at the beginning, you know, you got people on the boat and there's that big flash. They more or less recreate it, basically as it, as it would have been, isn't it? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they mentioned like the atomic tuna and things like that and yeah yeah i was looking into the whole um, lucky dragon thing before recording obviously and it's interesting because the american army doing the tests did warn japanese public not to go out at sea but they didn't tell them what they were doing so although they were told to keep away they didn't know that there was a you know threat to life well what i find interesting was mm. that everyone stayed outside of the radius that they told them to but they still got caught up in it well, it's that they supposedly they thought that well everybody else is staying away, so we'll have 
you know, it'll be open water. There'll be nobody fishing except us. So they went out there feeling like, oh, you know, what's the big deal? We've been told to stay out of the water, but, you know, but the, we can just go do some sneaky fishing and then... But, the, there's a, but they a, they still stayed outside of the area right. that they were told to stay outside of. So they were, mm. they were within their rights to be where they were. Yeah. So I see what you're saying, though. I mean, yeah, it's like... No, I'm no. not saying there's any fault on their part, but it's this thing of like, if the Americans had said, don't come out to sea because you might get killed, <laughs> they might not have gone out. So it's this thing of like, yes, well, yeah, they were they were saying. being savvy, you know, this is a post-war um, economy they're in. Of course, they're going to try and make some money, but th- this atomic blast goes off and they were like exposed to radiation for like something like six hours. It's immense, isn't it? Um, and it's just like, yeah. They were saying like they were picking up like ash and coral. Mm. And like scooping it up into buckets and stuff, and they were li- like, you know, literally handling this atomic waste, radioactive waste. It's just I saw a ugh. quote from um, a book that was written by one of the survivors that was written in like the nineties when they did the memoir about their life. And I... oh, was this the um, he was he was the last survivor, I think, right? Something like that, yeah. Um, and I can't remember the exact quote, but he mentioned that yeah, they took some of the radioactive material that fell in the fallout back to, to to scientists to show them but they also tasted it and like ate some yes that was the guy yeah so yeah. He, i think he ended up living longest <laughs> remarkably how that's wild yeah but, um, <laughs> this is, just shows how like the lack of knowledge and naive, the naivety that plays into it and how they were you know the unwitting like victims of this this awful thing but of course then one of these um, fishermen actually died and then less than a year later you get Godzilla the movie coming out that just kind of works as this sort of national kind of like uh, release and like almost like a you know a primal scream of like what is all this that's going on with us with the war and the atomic bombs that have gone off and now this testing and like what what is this sort of national point of view from the, the populace of of how the government is interacting with America now. And I think there's a lot in the movie, which, you know, I understand a lot more now, you know, being older and having mm. you know, seen more films and read more about it than, than when we first watched it back in you know, the late noughties. Mm. I think it's quite a bold move to make a reference to everything so soon, mm. you know, with um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki being like, yeah, like, as you said, like kind of like less than a decade before then. You know, and it's just, it was all still so fresh in everyone's mind. It's like, uh, I don't know. I think it was quite quite a brave thing to do. Um, although I did read that, I think at the time, some people thought it was quite, not the, not, the, not manipulative, what's the word? Like a bit tasteless or exploitative? Yeah, or... a bit exploitative. Yeah, that's the word. Mm. Um, I imagine it would be viewed similarly to when, I mean, after 9-11 happened, um, Hollywood was quite quick to turn out a few movies. Like we've got this. That's this, what I thought. There's yeah. a Nicolas Cage one, isn't there? And then you've got United ninety three, which really deal with the, um, the raw kind of like recreation. Like this is exactly what happened, and we kind of don't know as a culture how to deal with it. And obviously, that's an American tragedy that, that affects the whole world. So you know, they've tried to, you know, work it into their art and their media. And I feel like in terms of post nine eleven content, we it wasn't until about. 10 years later that things start to come out which really were able to manage those emotions without doing a one-for-one recreation mm. and in godzilla obviously there is a one-for-one recreation with the you know fishing boat disaster boat, yeah. but also it is almost a decade on from the war so it's kind of like this this mess of emotion where it's like there's a lot to deal with and it's almost like i feel i mean godzilla as a monster movie has been has been made 
almost primarily out of a creative desire to emulate those other movies like Beast and the 20,000 yes. and the King Kong stuff. All of that was very, very popular. But it has but a specific point behind it. Exactly. It kind of becomes... And that's what carries it. it, it it's, a, it's a national kind of like, how do we process all this stuff that's going on in Japan at the moment? Like, and yeah, yeah, it does yeah. feel a little bit like, is this a bit sort of almost hackneyed, the way they're sort of doing a I, weird monster movie? I but, think... But I don't think so, you know. I think if it had been a one-for-one kind of mm. weird replicating these events, it might have been, uh, maybe not, I, I, it might not have been as as strong, maybe. I think because it being a a monster flick, you know, you can have a, you, it's interesting that with film and, well, with any any medium, really, with, you know, books or theatre or whatever, you can have a parallel. You can tell a parable, basically. Yeah. And I think that's what that's what this does. It's quite weird that, as you say, you know, it's kind of born of those, you know, pulpy 50s um, monster films. So, like, in a way, this film carrying that message shouldn't have worked, but it did. Well, I guess even, like, The Blob, which I've not actually seen the original Blob, but I know that it's about a kind of... I mean, a lot of those monster movies are um, about a sort of a communist... Radioactive. ...fear, or, yeah. yeah, like a Cold War sort of fear, so... There's always, no matter how silly the movie may come across, usually in anything there is some deeper kind of motivation behind it. Mm. And I feel like, yeah, Godzilla over time, and you can apply this to the first movie if you want that, oh, it's a bit silly, it's miniatures, it's a guy in a costume, but the the thing they're trying to portray to you is the destruction and, and the fear and the, the lack of control and the, the way that, you know, the Japanese people feel about, you know, various things, whether it's um, atrocities committed against them or by their own country. Yeah. Um, so even though, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's it's a monster movie, and it comes with you know all the trappings that you you can attach to that and criticize that for, or it it still has that content, you know, um, where it feels very sort of thoughtful, you know, yeah, yeah, and and exactly. meaningful. So mm. there's um. On that Criterion box set, there's a special feature from this uh, Japanese film critic, Tadeo Sato, and he was saying how much more sympathetic Godzilla was as uh, the creature himself um, for a Japanese audience because, like, during the war, Japan was a victim. But, like, just as you said, you know, it was also the monster itself that was defeated. So it added that extra layer of empathy, which I think, again, is why it works so well. Mm. Um, Yeah. I think a lot of the imagery in this is... uh, it's, it's extremely heavy, extremely heavy. I mean, after that, especially after that first atomic breath attack, like you got the hospitals, these kind of makeshift hospitals are full, and you know you got people running Geiger counters over children and looking mournful because you know <laughs> what their fate's going to be. Exactly. You got the dead mother laying on the floor, um, and that kid crying, and Emiko saying, "You know, oh, don't worry, you'll see your mum soon," and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. there's actually there's, there's this one particular shot which actually made me choke up each time I see it, is of this um, this lady with her three kids cowering in the street corner as Godzilla's rampaging, you know, blasting his atomic breath everywhere. Um, and she's like, oh, you know, we're going to be with your father soon. And it's just, it's really upsetting. Like, I think I th- it's almost a bit too much, but I think it was necessary because, you know, it showed, it showed the effect of, well, it showed the effect of Godzilla on that kind of human level, being this, you know, at this mercy of this unstoppable thing. But mm. 
you know, I say Godzilla, it's also about nuclear war, you know? Yeah. It's, it, it's literally showing that. And that's, it's horrible to think that's what people were probably, you know, that exact thing probably happened. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, I think it is heavy. And um, it, it's not, it, I think it's both that Godzilla represents an attack, like a nuclear attack, or, you know, just radiation as a presence in our world, but also a people who don't feel like they have agency over what's going on yep. you know whether their country's being attacked because of you know a war or or whatever else so um yeah i think that is a very sort of like it's evidence of a, a, a creative you know collective you've made the movie you know, the production team who just feel it's needed you know that we mm. need to express this and show this and like kind of put a spotlight on that and it's interesting interesting because you mentioned that we're both watching this um, through the Criterion Collection, and I was listening to the audio commentary um, of the Japanese original version, and both the Japanese and the American sort of re-edit have commentaries, and they mention on there that that scene is in both movies, but in the American version they remove the audio, so that that shot of the woman telling her kids that you know, you know we're going to go see daddy, and you know they're basically going to mm. die, and that fear is nullified to a point, and it's a point of contention. I think is is what's being explained on the commentary that there's elements of censorship, and when you see the Japanese original of Godzilla, um, you know there's a lot in there that's like this is a monster movie, but it, it means uh, various things. It is primarily radiation, but it's it's so much more than that as well. And then when you watch the American one, and then this you see this this becomes Godzilla as a whole um, very quickly with the, with the sequels. Is that it just becomes purely a monster thing? Um, it's just a story about a monster, and there, there is some of that allegory left over in the American '56 like redo. There's but a it, bit. It's so blunted. It's so just like oh, you know, uh, it feels almost like an explainer um, than, than a movie in a way. Yeah. Uh, there's a I read an article on Collider about how I mean we'll get onto 56 a bit later, but basically saying that how uh, it missed the point entirely by cutting so much so much stuff out. Mm, and um, that's the thing and, I'm saying really is like some things are cut out because they don't understand it or they don't feel it's needed. Some things are cut out and you can presume it's been done because they don't actually want the American audience to see Japan's perspective on these things because it's, yeah, I think it's both yeah, both those things. Yeah, I mean there was um. One thing that the article mentioned, which I noticed as well, was like it was just um, like kind of a almost a mundane thing about how it affected daily life. So they were saying like, oh, you know, the, vac- the evacuation again. And they're like, oh, evacuation again. Like, oh, I can't be asked with that. You know, it's it's almost seems a bit silly to be like, oh, of course you'd want to evacuate. If you want to live, you're going to have to evacuate. Mm. But that kind of... Um, so that's that scene was removed completely in the in the fifty six version. I thought it was quite interesting because since um, COVID nineteen has happened, yeah, like I, I I'd wanted to. I remember saying a while back I wanted to avoid talking about it on this show, just because you know, I you know it's been nice to look back at any episodes we record as archival. You know, of, yeah. you could listen to them at any point in time. We but want sometimes, to provide some, people like escapism as well. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. But sometimes it becomes relevant. So I think this is one instance where I thought it's quite interesting that when COVID-19 happened, so many people complaining about wanting to just go back to normal. Mm-hmm. No matter what the consequences may be. Basically, yeah. Because like, you know, well, you could stay safe inside your house or you can go out and risk your life. Yeah. And I think both 
both thought processes are completely natural and it's just it's really interesting to see that scene where it's like oh i can't be bothered to evacuate again i think you know i would have pre-covid i would have been like what a silly silly thing to say mm. but you know having heard other people say something similar during the pandemic i'm like okay i you know this it just shows how evergreen this subject matter is Basically, to be honest yeah. and i i wonder if the next godzilla that toho do is gonna make a covid parallel yeah wouldn't be that surprising would it really and we've commented before that there kind of does need to be some sort of real world anchor point to give these things you know, a meaning and I, I when i was watching these mm. you know the original um I, I reflected on 2014 a little bit about how there really isn't anything there no um, and no. i feel like um i've you know i reference it um in terms of the monsterverse but the marvel movies that have come out recently are often criticized for being very shallow and they are um you know there's not much allegorical um material there but even they do more than that that 2014 godzilla movie to say something about the world we're in oh really um oh yeah like it's not very deep but there's there's elements of you know control versus fear or you know mass death or imagery of cities being attacked which i think does speak to a kind of post 9-11 point of view mm. just i feel like 2014 and we're doing a stop talking about a completely different movie here or <laughs> go off on a tangent about marvel but it's just interesting you need some sort of idea and i feel like with the fukushima thing and shin godzilla mm. you see that very strongly and i feel like going back and watching you know the 54 godzilla it's easy now um to see like yeah shin godzilla is a much closer remake um tonally and emotionally oh, you just took away my conclusion oh sorry <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Marvel is not deep by any means, but I'm using it as a point to say, like, that 2014 movie, it's beautiful cinematically at times, Mm. but metaphorically, like, there is nothing there um, at all. Um, So yeah, I think that's kind of just an indictment of that movie. Um, Um, So I'm going to just carry on with the tangent a little bit, because, you know, I don't watch Marvel movies. No. I'm just curious, have they ever actually made a COVID reference? Um, conspiracy theory time Uh-oh. is that Here we go. it's believed Let me get my tea. it's believed that <laughs> a recent Marvel TV show um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier did have a virus plotline in it that had nothing to do with COVID that, but that was then cut away because COVID happened during the production they were like well we don't want to actually create a piece of entertainment that's like you know this that that's a, it's a conspiracy theory right uh, i mean but no i mean marvel's not not commented on covid at all but i feel like mcu has become a bit dull frankly because they have tried and in, in some cases failed to modify their plans to adapt to the pandemic world and they haven't done it that successfully um, okay so no um i feel like they they probably never will yeah. But this is the thing that I was saying earlier, and again, I don't want to harp on and on about Marvel, <laughs> but um, they made a lot of 9-11 movies right after 9-11, and I feel that the, the public taste for it was not there globally, and although it may have facilitated some public grieving or some way of dealing with that imagery, um, it, 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 it wasn't great content. And then in a movie like The Avengers, the 2012 one, which is quite shallow, as I said, like allegorically, mm seeing that imagery of, of New York specifically being attacked, but then saved by a bunch of cartoony heroes actually is a kind of catharsis. Um, you know, and that's that's about 10 years on from 9-11. And mm. then almost 20 years on, you've got Infinity War, where you have the snap and Thanos, like, you know, it kills 50% of all life. 
that's really like that really makes you feel like what the helplessness of that whole thing um comes to bear in that movie and although you could argue oh is that movie that well made is the story that strong but like the effect of the characters being blipped away where they turn to dust and it looks just like the visually it's the same as when the towers came down um right. so that's that's what i'm saying really is that even in, the, in these movies which are perceived to be very you know throwaway and very superficial and purely you know surface level stuff they can they can surprise you sometimes with like oh actually this visual is like it 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 brings you it brings you it, you know into a place mentally where you can sort of you know when you and I and people we know are not touched firsthand by those those atrocities so mm. I don't want to speak for anybody who's had those experiences um, because I I couldn't possibly know the the depth of it but it does sort of help you process that and feel like okay there's there's space in life there's time has passed. And also I can approach this this fictional version of these events to some degree and, and feel like I've got some kind of closure or way of processing it. And that's that's what Godzilla is, you know. Yeah, so. I, I think a lot of it is time as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, after 9-11, like I, you, the, the show Friends, that had a bit of a dip in ratings, but then after 9-11 it just spiked. So at that yeah. point it was pure escapism, you know. And Spider-Man was... as well, I think you could apply some of that that strong spider-man enthusiasm and popularity of those those raimi movies is probably part of that yeah yeah um but yeah when it gets to uh yeah i think but yeah with time having that imagery you know after you've had a a long time to process it as you say it can become cathartic so Mm -hmm. yeah i guess you know now we're finished with our uh marvel podcast just there we'll go back to the godzilla one um <laughs> uh yeah that's exactly what godzilla does and i suppose yeah it being nearly 10 years after hiroshima and nagasaki maybe that's yeah. the right time you know you can sense that there is a national like need to you know expunge or let out these feelings and the the lucky boat the lucky dragon number five thing just just was the catalyst for like we've got to yeah talk about this and it feels too close to that in some regards as we've been talking about but mm. no it's that time as you say which yeah. makes it like important um something you said earlier uh, about the kind of preparedness of people to deal with um you know nuclear fallout i think was uh you could see that in this film as well uh, so you know like you're saying about you know people tasting the the coral and ash and stuff Mm. so yeah something that really struck me was just seeing how underprepared everyone was to deal with it so there's that scene when they're on Odo Island and they find the trilobite there's no like proper hazmat suits or anything and like he's you know digging through the dirt with his with his fingers and I think maybe back then that might have looked a little bit silly on film I don't know but I mean a lot of um, radioactive practices weren't ironed out until the 70s you know so like there's still another 15 or so years after that and it's just like i find that really i i find it really sad to see that that's what people were doing back then and it's it, oh it's horrific there's a helplessness to it isn't there? oh like, man yeah completely you know, it's like when you read up people who had like um like atomic like toothpaste and stuff for like these products that existed <laughs> in the early 1900s oh, when like man. radiation was first discovered and it's just like you know. it, it reminded me of this um, <laughs> cleanser. It's, mm. it's Dorothy Gray's uh, cold cream, I think it's called, or cold cleanser, something like that. I don't know if you've seen it, but there was this this commercial for it. So it's some, just like sometime after World War Two, Electric Boogaloo, 
there was um, <laughs> this uh, this cream that's like so strong, it can remove radioactive dirt from your face. And right. they have a model in the commercial. They put radioactive dirt on her face. They have the Geiger counter next to it to show how radioactive it is. And then they use the cleanser to take it right. off. Oh, oh my God. It was so presumably she... She died after this. <laughs> no one knows what happened to her. So oh, right, I, I've right. looked into it so much, and like I can't find out. No one seems to know. Well, maybe it's maybe they staged it for the commercial filming. Maybe there's there's that chance, but yeah, it seems you but, know, we could maybe hang on to that you know idea. <laughs> I but this is the thing. This is why I find it interesting because it's like back then people weren't aware of just how much it could affect you. Oh yeah, you yeah. know they weren't sure of the quantities, but. You see that in this movie, isn't it? When they're when they're arguing in the in the governing, like, oh, should we keep this a secret, secret, or do we make it public? And in the in the movie, obviously, they're arguing, like, do we keep Godzilla secret, or can make Godzilla public? And that seems like that's context- that's uh, like I think that's quite a it's become a central theme around a lot of Japanese Godzilla films. Is mm. that kind of you know that bureaucracy? Uh, sorry, bureaucracy. Sure. Around revealing revealing this stuff to the the public, like yeah. I, what I find interesting is like I, especially in this film, I don't feel like either side is in the wrong. Right. So like I think there is an ultimately they were in the wrong by keeping it secret, but I can see that you know the idea of not wanting people to panic and trying to resolve a problem. Um, but then you could also look at the real world implications of, of times when. You know, just as the Americans did themselves during this testing, like just keeping too much of it secret, mm. and then the the repercussions. So it's like, yeah, the movie is very good at playing both sides of the argument, I think, and it lets you make your own mind up about things. But I think this one comes closest. In, to, in the, it, that comes closest to having both sides being fairly represented, rather than you know the ones that want to keep it secret are the bad guys. Yeah, or Godzilla is purely good or purely bad. Yeah, sort of thing. yeah. Yeah, I think that scene is really about the real world. Like, do we keep certain things secret or or what? You know, um, and I and I, on the commentary on the Criterion uh, Blu-ray, they t- they talk about this as well, saying basically that it, it can be allegorized that people who want to keep it secret want to keep on working with the American state and easing into this kind of like new government and the occupation is good and blah blah. Whereas the people who want things public are basically saying like, you know, they want to fight more for. Um, their own agency as a, as a Japanese people so there's there's something to be said for that that you know, yeah you, you can read into it so much more deeply if you if you look at kind of not just the the direct impact of the radiation on on Japan but like um, or the the atomic attacks on Japan but also just the whole culture of it because during other sort of research I was doing before watching the movies I I found out that this whole you know the modernization of Japan took place over like a thirty-year period towards like the end of the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, where it's like Japan opened up to the world and sort of caught up with where other countries were in terms of like infrastructure and technology. Right. Um, and then you have sort of like this this fascination with American culture that takes place in the nineteen twenties, which then becomes sort of stifled and and um, put on hold almost culturally by the Second World War. Um. um and then you sort of return to it after the the Second World War, but it's it's recontextualized. It's sort of like letting in the world again and allowing America directly to influence Japan, not just as like a culture with like movies and music and clothes, but like literally how we're going to run and govern the the country and right. how some people felt this was a really good thing and some people felt like that it was a bad thing. And 
Mm. Yeah, it's a very interesting idea of like how, you know, in the modern day, Japan, I feel, is still very sort of like West facing and like how they want to be perceived. And there's all sort of talks about that and sort of, you know, how they, how beauty is represented in, in Japanese culture these days. And, um, yeah, it's a very interesting topic. So I think all of that is in Godzilla as well. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a meaty one, this one. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> you know what? I watched, um, just after I watched it again uh, a few days ago, uh, straight after, almost straight after, I watched a an Ed Wood film called oh, yeah. Bride and the Beast. <laughs> oh, my God. By comparison, holy shit. It was such a disrespectful waste of time. It was like <laughs> half of the film was stock footage. I, right. I felt like I was watching it all night, and I'd maybe, you know, I'd finished, nearly finished my bottle of wine. So maybe that <laughs> made it drag a bit more, I don't know. But just by comparison, oh, Jesus. It was, well, it was just, the filmmaking craft, you mean, basically. Uh, even the subject matter. Right. You know, it was just night and day. It was just interesting to see, you know, two films from that era back to back. And just, it just showed me just how meaty Godzilla actually was. Uh, yeah, it was unreal. Anyway, let's talk a bit about the characters. So, kind of weird that it's, you know, lucky coincidence that they were all miraculously key players in stopping Godzilla, all the people involved. So you have Ogata, who is played by Akira Takarada, mm. who actually, he died a few weeks ago. Wow, really? Yeah, it's sad. That's, um, yeah. Um, then Emiko Yamane, played by Momoko Koji. And then Serizawa, played by Akihiko Hirata. Uh, and then you have the Professor Yamane, played by Takashi Shimura. And then in the 56 Godzilla, you got uh, Steve Martin, who was played by Raymond Burr. So Ogata, he doesn't really do that much, in my no, opinion. He's, he's, he's not a bad character. But he's he's a bit redundant, and I I feel like I was watching it again. I was like trying to figure out what it is he's there for, and it seems to me that he he just served as a character to make Sarah Zawa's arc a little bit more tragic, mm. you know. And and I think he was the only one actually in the out of the whole gang who was he was kind of the representation for the anti Godzilla camp yes you know yeah. he, he was the one that was saying well you know it'd be nice to study him but if we do that more people could die so you know we should probably be stopping him and he was the only voice to kind of say that within our group yeah that's his that's his only purpose i feel like and um they don't really give they don't have there's not much else to work with really in the character like you have this like oh you know we have this illicit relationship going on but um you never really see anything about it it's just talked about Mm. Um, and we've talked about this in the past as well about well, how is how is affection, romantic affection, portrayed on the screen in Japanese movies? Um, and in in this case, they kind of don't. Quite cons- just, very conservative. Yeah, there's no like kiss or like hugging or like these guys are in love, and you know Emiko and Sarazawa's relationship is like you only ever see them together twice, and it's both really in the context of what we're going to do about Godzilla. I know she goes there specifically to tell him 
of I'm, I, I don't want to do this, I'm going to go with this other guy. But even then, you don't really see the, the, the way they behave, these two couples. Obviously, she's involved in both couples, but neither one behaves in a way where you could say, oh, these two are in love and these two are not. You know, so mm. it doesn't really come to the front. I mean, I think for a Japanese audience, this wouldn't come across as, as a failing, perhaps, because they would just be like, that's just the way it is. But when you're watching it, you know, with all these years removed and from a, a Western point of view, it's like, you know, the, the, he's there. Um, Agatha. He's there, yeah, as like a romantic element, basically. Um, yeah. Know, we, wouldn't you rather be with him than this other like weird, you know, sort of, you know, um, war veteran who's got an injury and, you know, spent all his time in the basement murdering his pet fish? Like, wouldn't you rather? <laughs> but it doesn't even feel like there's that much of a tug. You're just told. You're just told. Like she doesn't want to be with him. She wants to be with this other guy, and it doesn't go any deeper than that. Yeah, uh, and that's why I think yeah, that character is other than the scene where he argues with the with the older professor, like we've got to kill this monster. Yeah, there's nothing really there for that character or that actor to do. That's, um, yeah, that was the yeah. that's the only kind of standout moment really. That and going down to put the oxygen just right down there. Yeah, that's 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 it. Um, yeah, yeah, he's yeah he's fine. Um, yeah, Emiko, she was kind of the glue holding everyone together, I think. She's the most emotional part of the movie. Well, um, it's, it's kind of... I think I struggled to find fault with this film. Right. Because I think it's it's that good. But if I'm going to pick on something. <laughs> her acting when she needed to be emotional mm. looked like she was stifling laughter. So when that little girl was crying after her mum died, I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to burst out laughing. She's biting her lip trying not to laugh here. Did you did you not notice that? I do. I, I agree to an extent that she sort of has like an unfortunate like expression where she looks almost like... Uh, she looks uncomfortable more than distraught. Um, but... Yeah, I think I, someone just told her the funniest joke ever and she's like really trying not to think about it and it's making it worse <laughs> if, I, if i'm not mistaken and like there's a little bit about this on the commentary to be fair on the criterion um but i think this is her first movie oh uh, really and i i get the impression from what i've heard and you know that she was very intimidated specifically by um the Agato guy um, because he was he was a big star he was becoming a big star and remained a big star for many decades after this in yeah. japan and I don't, I don't know if you know there was, you know, a bit of like I'm, I'm new. I don't know what I'm doing, and maybe you know, being a young woman in this very sort of male orientated environment. I mean, the, the movie's very male orientated, and we can take she's it as a given basically that, the only female there. Yeah, I don't know that there were many women working on this movie outside of her. Um, mm. So I don't know that it was would have been that comfortable an experience, to be honest with you. Fair so enough. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. I think you're right that her performance is a little bit sort of like. What's the emotion here? But also, she's given a lot of weight to bear because she is the only one who's being told, like, oh, you know, you're the young girl. We got, we've got to have you screaming. We've got to have you crying. We've got to have you showing, for the most part, the terror of what what is going on. I mean, you're hundred percent of- right because mm. I think all the men in this movie, anytime they need to look emotional about something, it's like, okay, look stoic. They look shocked, like they've they've lost to words. Yeah, and like but, that, that's you know. the extent of you know their emotional range that they. You know, expected to display. So you're totally right. We have the younger guy, the younger boy who comes back to you yeah. know, the Japanese mainland. Does some. You know, he's obviously witnesses his older brother being killed. Mm. There's a shot of him looking like viscerally 
you know, upset when he he knows that his family's under attack from Godzilla. So it's not just her. And obviously we have the other scenes of other, you know, citizens, uh, people being, you know, attacked and killed by Godzilla. So it's not just her at all, but in terms of like a main character, she's our conduit to kind of know like, well, where are we at emotionally with this? Yeah. Um, and I don't think she was the most experienced actress and I don't know what level of direction she was really given. So I agree with you. Like there are a couple of shots where she looks a bit sort of like, I don't know what you're kind of showing here. Yeah. Um, but also it's an older movie. There's certain circumstances. I'll give it a pass. Um, for me, my criticism of the film, you said, it, yeah, I, you know, you can't fault it much. And I do agree, but it's interesting that while this does have, you know, by a long shot, one of the more interesting human interest stories, it's it's funny that like from the very beginning, like from the word go, we've got love stories, we've got family drama, and like that's really got nothing much to do with Godzilla, other than you you could you could lay onto it like, well, what is the national sentiment of like within families? You might have people saying this is good and this is bad in terms of like the allegory of Godzilla, and then how what what does that really mean deeper? You know, that's all there, but yeah, I mean the blueprint for what we still suffer from today really is is there in the very beginnings. Um, and I'd also say that by the time, um, you know, Captain Cockblock and Professor Eyepatch <laughs> go down to the bottom of the ocean to uh, destroy Godzilla, a lot of the tension is kind of gone by that point to me, because I think this is to do with the movie being 60 years old. But when you know this is the end, you know, the runtime, we're getting to the end of the movie, they're going down to kill Godzilla. This bomb has never been shown to have any flaws. It works perfectly. It always kills the fish. Yeah. Um, they're going down to kill him and they do and it's it's kind of like a bit of a drawn out scene and there's not much tension to it so i think to me oh i disagree i feel like that is the biggest flaw though is that on a rewatch, and i've seen this movie a lot of times now to be fair but like by the time they make the choice of is he going to use the oxygen oxygen destroyer and they go and do it like the last sort of five ten minutes of the movie just sort of like yeah kill godzilla and it's over um, i feel totally differently how do you feel about it um so i felt it was emotional and tense right because i you know you can kind of see where it was going with serizawa um specifically because you know he, he wanted to die with well he didn't say he wanted to die with his creation but you just knew it was coming right and that coupled with the music specifically specifically that music there when they're going under it's like um when you know something sad's about to happen in a movie Mm. yeah you you know it's coming and i for me when that something like that happens i feel myself getting really emotional in the anticipation of the thing happening so when he goes down there with him and you hear that music and then you see godzilla dying you know you see you see a skeleton it's like it felt like a lot of emotion like kind of peaked at that point it all kind of built up to that exact moment mm. so you're saying kind of you know the weight of that moment's taken out by you know, there's no tension at that point, but just for me, it, it hit differently. I see what you're saying. Like, I'm, I'm saying that it's too predictable to me to hold much weight, like on rewatches. But I guess what you're saying is that because it's so foreboding, what's going to happen? I because I even found becomes... rewatching it's, mm. it, I felt more tense because right. I, I knew it was happening again. Yeah, I'm, I'm is... definitely not one of these people who says like, oh, you know, movies don't movies don't have value if you already know what's going to happen like mm. you know i like rewatching movies and i don't mind movies with foregone conclusions like true story movies or you know whatever prequels but um yeah just i just feel like 
I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me in that element. I love a lot of parts of the other. I love a lot of other parts of the movie, even though I've seen it many times. But to me, yeah, the ending, it just feels like I need an extra ingredient to feel like it. Maybe it won't work. Is what I would say. So I could have my suspension of disbelief that the bomb might not work would be a good little element that I would have added to this, just so that the ending had a bit more kind of um, sort of uncertainty. But I see what you're saying, that the, the certainty of, of like, you know, what's going to happen is sort of, is what's creating the emotion for you. And I think that's, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that at all. It just, it's, it's what I, I, I find a flaw in it for myself. Yeah, I guess it's just different strokes. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, so uh, thinking about the, the human scenes, I suppose, which is, you know, something we criticize constantly in these films um so ishiro honda, ishiro honda he actually cut a lot of extra human scenes because he, right. f- he felt like you know it was slowing things down so i mean the love triangle was kind of pointless in a way and just made for that you know kind of in my mm. in my opinion heart-wrenching ending so maybe there was more yeah th- there was so there was a scene where um it had serizawa and Emiko as teenagers, right? You know, they were like on the. So beach you could field. see them in love before they were not in love. Sort of thing. Yeah. Oh wait, was it was it them too? Or was it uh, her and Ogata? I can't remember. But there was other stuff. There were other scenes. Okay. Um, I he made the right choice. Right choice by cutting the extra human fluff, basically cutting that down to a minimum. Hmm. And I don't think that ethos carried on as strongly <laughs> as it did after this point. <laughs> Um, no, not certainly not when you get to things like Final Wars and Tokyo SOS and all that. Yeah, uh, exactly. So I think this was kind of the, uh, you know, the uh, the best example of the human element in a film, in, in a Godzilla film specifically. Yeah, I mean, like um, I say, it's a blueprint for the things that we've sort of endured in the years since, but it's not a bad blueprint either. Mm-hmm. I think one of the strongest things of it, and again, I do find this a little bit um, wary on rewatches, but... I like how um, Emiko goes to Sarazawa and she witnesses the oxygen destroyer and she she sees how it works, but you don't see it at first. Yeah, and he tells her to keep it a secret. And at first, you don't know what she's being asked to keep a secret, mm. but you you sort of care about this character. You know, you want you know you want to do well by the characters and you want them to be all right, whatever. Um, so inherently, you might say like, well, she's been told to keep a secret and she's promised to keep a secret, so she will. But as an audience member, you have an eagerness to find out what happened. Yeah. So by the time she tells Ogato um, what she's witnessed, you're having this weird push and pull between, as an audience member, you might not actually want her to betray her, her Sarazawa's trust in her or all of that. Yeah. But you're also very eager to find out what's going on. Um, and this sort of narrative device of like, oh, you know, being on both sides of something, which of course the whole movie has a has a duality to it, as we discussed. Um, you don't see complex. I mean, it's not even that complex, but you wouldn't see like narrative devices like that in the in the in the, certainly in the millennium era, where it's very much just like an A to B story. Yeah, yeah you're like, right. Um, this idea of like she's got a secret and we don't know what it is, but at some point we're going to find out because you know it's a very Chekhov's gun kind of thing. Like, of course we're going to find out what's yeah. going on, but how um, are we going to find out? Exactly. So yeah. that sort of keeps you interested in the human narrative, and as well as the Godzilla stuff. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I think her, her acting there is particularly good mm. when she's yeah. when she's telling Agatha. Uh, um, and you just don't get that. Like, if we if we reflect on Godzilla 2000, um, when you have this like love story ish between like the 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 reporter and the Godzilla chasing guy, and she he's got the young daughter, right? Yeah, and the young daughter doesn't like the lady. Never uh, resolved. Never, well, never, I, I don't, nothing ever comes of it. In my, <laughs> like, in my opinion, I don't think she didn't like her. Right. What I'm saying though I, is like, there's no. I, I think I know what you're saying, but like, nothing is set up and nothing is paid off. The human story is literally just there. You're right because I remember saying at the time I wanted them to be in another film because I wanted to see them carry on and see what else they had to offer because I was like, it felt like the start of something good. Yeah. But just, obviously, just, that was that's it. That just, yeah, <laughs> credits are all they're gone. It speaks to a desperation for something to just happen. Yeah, where you're even willing to spend more time with boring characters on the, the, <laughs> the hope that something may actually happen to them. But yeah, it's just a lot of times in these modern Godzilla movies, and we say modern, they're like 20 years old now. But well, relative term, things are set up, mm. and then they just like don't pay off, or worse, they're not set up at all. Yeah. Um, I know you get a lot of things like oh, so and so died in a previous Godzilla attack so therefore I have to avenge that that person's death and that kind of thing like they do that a lot and you know rivalries play out like oh you know <laughs> it you're, did that, yeah, like, it? Oh, you're more capable than me are you well I'm going to show that I'm the capable one and they do do stuff but like you know um yeah that's just what I'm saying it's like it's not yeah. a, it's not a terribly complicated or deep thing but mm. she's got a secret and we're going to find out what the secret is and it keeps you watching and that's really all you need. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. That was one of the stronger parts of the movie is that. And I think it, it, it's actually, it, it has certainly dated in, in the years since, but it's very modern for its time to show like some scenes out of order here and to, to tease you mm. like, oh, yeah. what's going on? Like, we'll come back to this. And yeah, yeah I think I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I felt like all the all the characters had, for the most part, except maybe Agatha, but everyone had pretty clear motives. Mm-hmm. you know in everything they were doing uh, all their scenes felt important you know it felt like all the characters mattered yeah um yeah it, yeah i think it's one of the absolute peak examples of you know a human a human story in a godzilla film i yeah it's kind of interesting that um the humans you know i don't think people had much choice in what to do with godzilla so going back a bit on um you know whether he should be killed or studied mm. for example uh, yeah, I don't feel like, as much as I agree with Yamane's ethics about, you know, wanting to study him, it's like, I don't think anyone really had any choice no. but to end Godzilla. Yeah. Um, I mean, may- maybe Yamane's logic would have worked, you know, if you just left him alone, maybe he would attack, but then retreat, and then you wouldn't see him again. But he seemed to only, Godzilla only ever seemed to respond to attack after a certain point, like he would leave come back, stomp around maybe a little bit, but then after the attacks, they would get, he was getting more and more aggressive. So it's like, oh, I wonder if they would have just left him alone, you know? Maybe maybe it would have been fine. Maybe your money was right. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I mean, by the time they do kill him uh, with the oxygen destroyer, I mean, he's, he's literally sleeping, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, he gets up because he notices someone's there. Yeah. But, you know, he's asleep. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, don't, I don't know. I wonder whether that would have worked. I don't think this is what the movie's saying explicitly, but you can look at Yumane's point of view as like, we need to keep on doing nuclear tests. And people who are saying, don't do nuclear testing, that's bad. Um, you know, 
that 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 you could put it in that. Yeah, um, you, it, you could frame it that way. I don't mm. really think that's the point of the character at all. But well, he was saying about you know how how did people survive this? Mm. Yeah, you know, sorry, how did Godzilla survive this? Um, yeah. we need to find out. You know how? Uh, do you think that would? Do you think that's a way of saying we should do more nuclear testing? I don't think the movie is saying that, but you could piece it together if you wanted to. Mm, um, because they're saying, oh, we should need to study Godzilla and understand it. And it's just like, it, does that does that element of the movie then have any allegorical um, purpose? This because is what it, I find so interesting, because like, you have two sides in this film, but there's so much more nuance than that. Like, you don't mm, have good versus bad. No. You've got weaknesses in both camps. And I find this with... Um, a lot of people, time people will say this, coming back to comics here, but people compare Marvel and DC comics, specifically the comics. Um, like in Marvel, it's kind of a joke about how villains are always villains, heroes are always heroes. Right. But in DC, it's, you know, a lot of the time you can have the good guys being the bad guys and the bad guys being the good guys. I mean, with as an example, there's a character called Clayface. He's traditionally always been a villain, but there's been entire arcs where he's, He's with the good guys. He's one of the good guys. Mm. And it's interesting that it's never that clear cut. It's never binary. And I think this film is a is actually a really good example of that. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Um it doesn't doesn't boil down to a simplistic thing. And I don't again, I do not think that there is any part of this movie which is arguing that nuclear testing is good, to be honest with you. No, no. But I also just feel like you can you can swing it that way, that every argument is there if you look for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the special effects. So, I mean, of this era, it's quite pretty common. Like, there's lots of compositing, miniatures, and double exposures. Yeah, bits of stop motion, and only small bits of stop motion, really. Um, it's mostly like puppetry, almost, isn't it? Like, there's a bit where the mm. tail is clearly stop motion, but then there's other times where you can yep. kind of see like they're just whipping it around on a string, and then they've kind of overcranked it there's a there's a few shots actually where people are running away and you can see like oh they've either sped it up after the fact or they've over overcranked it to make them look like they're running faster yeah than they actually were yeah i mean it's quite common yeah for for that era um but the compositing specifically i thought was actually really robust now mm. i think part of it is because black and white lends itself to compositing you know there's no need to color balance a shot to make sure they match and things like that you know as long as the lighting's similar you know it's it's, it's much easier to do but that i don't think that takes away from what they managed to achieve because i think the cinematography as a whole is is very strong mm. uh, it has a like kind of a horror film noir sort of feeling to it um but there are some so there are some shots where you can kind of see oh that's composited yeah it kind of wiggles a little bit yeah but i watched a special feature on that criterion box set we sound like we've been paid by criterion to talk about this no we've got some criticisms of it coming up so <laughs> okay yeah. okay yeah uh, no, we, we won't all be praised as this uh show era goes on okay um so yeah well one of the special features was saying about the the matte paintings and how they were composited into shots right and there's a whole load in there I would never would have known it was composited yeah, absolutely the thing, incredible there's some like model planes and model cars flipping over where you can be like that's just a toy flipping over and you can clearly yep. see it yep. but there are some effect shots which are actually so good that you don't even notice that it's there yeah um, absolutely like when they're on Odo Island they weren't on an island 
<laughs> so like and they had like they had you know they painted in the sea in the background right, even though it was yeah. just like trees and road and i i was, I was fooled completely no never would know yeah absolutely incredible because yeah. this thing of like if you're not paying attention to it they can get away with quite a lot mm. and often when the effect is the main vo- focal mm. point of the shot yeah like it's a little plane firing a rocket it's like well i'm, I'm here to look at it and but then you know when something's in the background like that it's like well actually it's so good that you don't even get some credit for it so yeah yeah and there's some of the like double exposure compositing things where they put people in like running away from godzilla and the the level of sort of planning that's gone into that stuff is quite extreme Um, yeah 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 it benefits them to be filming in either harsh direct sunlight or basically total darkness at night time that definitely (laughs) makes the you know the the um the merging of two different shots is a lot easier when like you say with black and white you can just like blend a line Mm. it doesn't matter but playing to your own strengths is nothing to apologize for either no so it really works very very well and for a movie of this age like there's there's lots of um movies that don't hold up anywhere near as well no true bride and the beast being one of them (laughs) (laughs) i think this is an example godzilla as a whole is an example of like a lot of times i think a lay person might come to it and say like oh well godzilla is where the kaiju comes from this invented the whole monster movie like genre right Mm. um when actually no and there are other examples of this in 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 life uh, in media where it's like something has existed i mean super mario is an example of this um i think people look at super mario brothers the original video game and think that's where platformers come from in video games when actually no godzilla is just an example of something is developing in the zeitgeist culturally and then suddenly you have one comes out where it's like this one is the one this is the preeminent movie where all future ones are going to be based on this one now yeah. because they've they've taken everything they've learned from previous films and they've done it just right because there are like just previous... a, a pioneer that's refined it basically. exactly because yeah. like really in some regards and um, maybe earlier ones than this even but like you could say like King Kong is like the original kaiju mm. or or that other movies um that you know that that uh, I, uh, stake more of a claim to that than 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 Godzilla but yeah like I'm saying about Super Mario Brothers where there's there's obviously um platforming games that came before that street fighter is a good example of this as well where it gets a lot of credit for inventing things in video games when actually street fighter is it comes from a long lineage of gradual evolutions and it was just the one that took off Mm. um and godzilla is that really where it's like we can praise it for how refined it is and how good it looks all this time later but there's like a bit of a graveyard just before it of probably not quite as well made movies that are pioneering but not as well remembered Mm. so yeah i think they said initially they wanted to do uh, they wanted to make Godzilla like all of his scenes to be a stop motion thing, mm. but apparently there weren't enough people in in the country that were yeah. specialists that that could do that. So I think that yeah, they wanted to go for that kind of was it um, Harryhausen exactly kind yeah. of thing. Which um, as a kid watching like um, Sinbad, I always found stop motion big stop motion creatures really scary because of the way they moved. Mm. So that's probably what they were going for. Um, but then, you know, they were like, well, we actually can't do that. So what are we going to do? We'll have, you know, a guy in a suit, um, which, you know, I, I still like, I like that. So, you know, I think they, they did a good, they did a good job there. It's quite, um, I, they were saying that, uh, the first suit they made was like kind of rubbish. It was too hard to walk around in and all that kind of stuff. So they split it in two. So like a lot of the stomping shots, is the is the, is the lower the half feet. yeah it's yeah. just the feet and then the upper half is for the bits where you know he pops his head over the island is like surprise it's me 
Um, and then, yeah, he has some full shots of, of the new suit as well. So, yeah, they basically, really, for all the full shots, they only had the one suit and they just had to keep patching it up mm. each time, you know, after each day of shooting. Because I, um, I'm saying that uh, for some of the, you know, fire breath sort of shots, they had a, a propane pipe above the actor's head that, that would blast out fire and it would, and it would melt the teeth of the suit and they had to keep kind of, you know redoing it again and stuff like that it was man it was so much work hearing hearing how how much stuff they had to do to make this was absolutely incredible I it's mean, work but it's also like the, the danger that people would be put in to make movies back in the old days is just like yeah it's, <laughs> yeah i think it almost feels like a bunch of friends being like how are we going to do this like are you all right with us putting up this pipe here and they'll be like yeah okay do it <laughs> you know right yeah and so yeah. i really love that kind of um What's the word? That sort of... Well, guerrilla filmmaking. Guerrilla filmmaking. That is exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really I really love that. Um, and, yeah. And, and one of the other things I was saying was, like, you know, the shots of the sea and stuff like that. They had this big pool. Yeah. And they filled it with... Um, uh, it's like... It's called agar. It's like seaweed. So but it's like... Agar's like a... It's like a gelatinous form of it. So they had... I think I can't remember how many they said there was it was like thousands and thousands of these gelatin sticks they had to boil down and then put in the pool and it took like a week just to do that and it's all this work that went into it it's just I can't imagine how intense that must have been um but yeah uh, great admiration for that kind of filmmaking I really do it's uh it's incredible and something else you're saying about the uh you know speeding up shots and things like that mm-hmm. you know those are, you'd notice those moments but what something i didn't realize was uh when they have godzilla walking around they were filming it on a high-speed camera and slowed it down yeah i thought he was just walking slowly and just <laughs> doing it really well i mean i'm sure he was but you know the employing that technique was you know, really creative and i wouldn't have noticed yeah it doesn't it doesn't look like slow-mo it's just a really you know they managed to replicate uh, they managed to emulate that sort of effect of a giant creature walking through a city just yeah it's uh very innovative so if you ever see footage of, of, of kaiju stuff you know costume based kaijus being done where they haven't slowed it down um it always looks dreadful and i think that the best examples of, of how bad that can look are from the original power rangers mm. where they move like they flail their arms around quite a lot and <laughs> they do a lot of like karate moves and it doesn't have like a sense of scale to it mm. um but yeah i mean filming in slow-mo they say oh, it makes small fire looks more like large fire when it's filmed slow so i guess they're using that and some of the water gives away the scale like a lot of the time godzilla looks big in the movie and it's pretty convincing and the model work you know destroying tokyo is is decent um it's only really when they get into the water and they're splashing around that like you can see like these waves are not like that yeah, big and they've obviously found ways to improve that in the decades since because i don't think that's true of all the movies mm. yeah it's uh yeah looks looks great love it Okay, so the sound and sound design and the music. So, I mean, does it need to be explained? I don't know. But my partner asked me, like, oh, how did they make the Godzilla roar? Hmm. So I think this is probably the best episode to talk about how they made it. Just quite, Go for it. <laughs> yeah, so everyone who's listening already knows this, but I'll say it anyway. So they had a double bass and they loosened one of the strings and got a like a leather glove and put this kind of waxy resin on it and slid the glove down the string to make mm-hmm. that you know that scree sound um 
and just kind of you know pitched it up and down and stuff like that to make this raw. Because I think they tried using animals, but it didn't sound right. Not large enough sound. Yeah. Uh, the, the prolonged nature of this like bass scrape, I think, is it makes it feel like it's coming from deep inside of an enormous creature and coming out. Yeah, know. yeah. So that's the that's its strength, really. Yeah. Um, again, another very creative, innovative technique. I, I find this stuff absolutely fascinating. I really do, especially sound. Mm. Um, and like his, uh, his stomping. Apparently, um, Ifukube, the composer, he, he like tripped over a amplifier box in one of the studios. I was like, oh, that sound sounds really cool. Can I use this? your amplifier and kick it and, they, and the guy whose amplifier it was he was like uh okay if you need to um and they used that to make the the stomping sounds hmm. it's just like just yeah great stuff happy accident though um but yeah if Kube, so he did all the music for for this and uh there are four tunes that stood out to me so there's the i suppose it's as we've discussed on the very first episode we recorded there's the Godzilla theme, which was mm. actually really more for the, the military. Yeah. Um, so the, the Godzilla theme that everyone knows. There's that one. Um, there's the Naval March, which is kind of this bit more kind of... Do you know the one I'm talking about? It's a bit more peppy. Um, you know, it's when they when they set sail. Right. Um, uh, and as, as they're launching the depth charges, when they first try and take them out, take out Godzilla. I couldn't bring it to mind, but... Yeah, presumably know what you mean. Okay. Yeah, so there's that one. There's the one where he comes ashore at that, you know, at that power plant and starts, you know, with the, when he starts, you know, with the atomic breath is is probably my favorite. Um, because you you can't really hear it as much in the movie itself, but when you listen to it in isolation, you can hear uh, they've recorded this this piano and they're just like hitting the the lowest notes of the piano and it sounds like stomping. Mm. And that combined with this kind of the, the string arrangement it's, it's so menacing yeah and yeah and it feels like it feels like it's a musical iteration of godzilla himself and i guess that's why it was the godzilla tune really you know that's his theme um yeah it, like all, every, i think most of the tunes are like they're you know, unmistakably different and they're, they're all recognizable and you know set a mood i think this um this is a sign of the times as well but the the music of the movie is so enduring um, that it, you know it lives on now and they keep on using it now. But it would have had to have been um, memorable and strong because people would have gone to see this movie in the cinema and maybe either not seen it again for many years or potentially never seen it ever again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the fact that this music, you know, through the life of the series, reusing it, of course, has maintained a a pop culture presence, but people remember it because it is just really good stuff. So. Yeah. Right. Let's talk a bit about the 1956 King of the Monsters. So, um, as I mentioned before, it's the same film, but recut and includes newly filmed scenes with uh, new cast. The main one being Raymond Burr, who plays reporter Steve Martin as he investigates Mm. the (laughs) events that unfold throughout the film. Shout out to our colleague Steve Martin. (laughs) <laughs> and all the other Steve Martins of the world. Yeah. It's this surprisingly common name. It's Weird, I think it's it? one of the things the American version is famous for. You know, <laughs> that it has Steve Martin in it. Um, so it's not that uncommon to have a recut movie for a Western audience. So mm. one that pops into my mind is 
I've not seen it, but Red Cliff, this Chinese film, I mean, in China and probably other places in, in Asia, it was a, it was two films, two parts, totaling oh, right. five hours. And they cut it down into one two and a half hour part for the West, which obviously, you know, they cut out a lot of stuff, but you know, it's, it's formatted in such a way it makes sense and is more appealing to a Western Marketable, basically. Yeah. yeah. So what's unusual about this film, King of the Monsters, is the adding of additional scenes. So I maybe there are other examples prior to this where they've done that. I actually probably should have looked into it. I don't know. But in, in, to my knowledge, this is the first example of it being done, which is strange. Uh, but, I mean, let's be real here. I mean, they, they wanted a white face for a Western market. Um, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like, so, I mean, wait, one of the producers said that you know the US wouldn't go for an all-Japanese cast. And I suppose well, no. it just being after the war, that might have had something to do with it. I mean, but, I mean, by today's standards, that's honestly it's pretty disgraceful. But it, it's not fair, I don't think, to put this film through a modern lens and pick it apart like that. It, oh. At the time, it probably made more sense, and I think it did work. It worked out. Yeah, but I think... it's yeah, it's a bit leaves me feeling icky. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's got pros and cons. Um, one of the benefits of this is that at some point they've decided that they do want to share, um, Godzilla with the West and they want to do it in a way where it will be successful. Um, mm. so they do, they do what they can. They add some scenes and it's basically like, yeah, it's a white American guy goes to Japan and basically talks you through the movie. I mean, for anybody who hasn't seen it, this movie is not dubbed in any extensive way. They basically just literally have the same scenes from the Japanese original in Japanese, and then it will usually cut back to Steve Martin asking somebody, what's going on? And then an English-speaking Japanese guy will explain it, or in monologue over the movie, Steve Martin explains what's going on. Yeah, so because we have... Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. It's good that they've wanted to bring Godzilla you know, to the West. That's good. But in doing so, and at the time, as you say, this would not necessarily have been seen as a bad thing, although it very much is, they've basically trivialised and caricatured and dehumanised a little bit the Japanese element of it by just saying, like, oh, it's just this weird place where like there's a monster, basically. And there's yeah. nothing mean-spirited <laughs> about this version intentionally. I think the American version is very much like, let's introduce you to Godzilla. But it does sort of, like I say, it nullifies the Japanese element in, in that regard. And also the restructuring of it, and tell me what you think about this, but it completely kind of like dulls the the story. Like it's just not, it's it's the same story, but not interesting. Yeah, basically. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, yeah, I suppose the narrative is just, it's a little bit different. Mm. Um, for the most part, it's just retroactively adding Steve into scenes where he's just stood off to one side smoking. You could imagine that he was there. Yeah, in, yeah, in the like, Japanese original, if you which, want, like just not on camera. This is what I. This is how I enjoyed it most. Was thinking of it as like a midquel, interquel kind of thing, right? You know, where it's like, oh yeah, here's the here's the other angle of the shot you didn't see. Mm. You know, here's the here's the other side of it. So yeah, I do kind of put him there when I watch the Japanese one as well, just because it's more entertaining to think of it that way, really. Um, so yeah, so I mean. Yeah, for anyone who's not totally aware of it, but basically Steve Martin is, he's basically buddies with everyone from 54. So <laughs> yeah. he's friends with Emiko, Serizawa, and whoever, you know. And so he's he's there on his layover from Tokyo. Right? 
Well, he's Something going. He's like going that. to Cairo. Oh, I don't know something. He's he's mm. in Tokyo. So and then he ends up staying there to investigate the Godzilla attack. Um, I mean the rest of the plot's mostly the same, but it does take out some points where Emiko's like she's like I know what can stop Godzilla. It'll be the oxygen destroyer, right. and they've changed that to be like, you know, they make Raymond Burr be like. You know I know what, what to do. I know what to do. You tell them to do this. You know, it's a bit kind yeah. of. Okay, yeah. We've made him the hero, and it makes Agatha even more redundant in this film. I think. Yeah, and the way like Steve Martin basically commentates the entire movie, and he's like talking about this love triangle. It's just like if in reality they pushed they pushed on that a bit too hard. Well, it's just trying to sell the movie, isn't it? Yeah. As of all these things, but um, it's like if he was there in reality and there was a big giant monster like killing people, and he was like, "Oh, I've got to report on this and write a little, you know, you know, sort of um, first-hand account," he wouldn't be talking about their love triangle at all. He would not be interested <laughs> in the slightest. So yeah, the fact that it gets mentioned, like, it's this perverse thing where like we're putting the movie through a new perspective. It's like well, that perspective would naturally eliminate some elements of the earlier version and it's like well, we had to keep all of that it's like they probably would have been better off just remaking it which is evidenced by that's what they do now in 98 and 2014 they mm. just make their own version which is kind of what they need to do and even those i mean we we probably could be considered by some to be very soft on the monsterverse for how it sort of as you've commented on a couple of occasions it does sort of um excuse atrocities effectively yeah um but the, the fictional version of, of Godzilla that we have from Monsterverse does not really have anything to say about Bikini Atoll or, or the bad things that happen there, which we've only scratched the surface of in, in this podcast. Yeah, but, um, I mean, well, there was, I think, it was at Godzilla 2014, there was one mention of it right at the start. There was, you see yeah. the Castle Bravo incident, and, and that's just, in the opening credits for like, you know, yeah. 30 seconds. It's just, it's just an origin story. It's just, oh, well, that's how you get a big, big lizard. And that's basically yeah. where it stops. <laughs> if you want one, this is how you do it. <laughs> yeah. So this like fifty six version, like it's not. I mean, it's not. Um, it's just mundane. That's what it is. It's so middle of the road. Like it causes offence to us as modern audiences. It probably, it, it definitely caused the same offence back. You know, I think uh, in this era, just less so to a Western audience, more so to a Japanese audience. I imagine most people, uh, mm. sorry, most Western audiences. This was probably their first uh, exposure. Yeah. If it wasn't 98, it would have been this. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've read online that a lot of people have a soft spot for it because, you know, it was the introduction of Godzilla for them, which mm-hmm. is, I to- totally get. And so they still really enjoy it. And I think for us, maybe we're in a somewhat unique um, position where the first one we saw was the Japanese one. So seeing yeah. it this way around was really, really jarring. Yeah, um, that's the thing. It's like, yes, it's it's not great. It, you can criticize it. Um, I don't really feel like it should be promoted as like, as a main version of the movie at this point in history. But if it's done a job of, of popularizing Godzilla and meaning that people will enjoy this and, uh, uh, as a result, gain a greater understanding of Godzilla and of Japan and understand why actually this version is, is not a good thing, it, it's it's not you know bad to have it. You know, it's, mm. it's served a positive purpose. Yeah. Um, the scenes with Raymond Burr in are so strange. <laughs> I love <the laughs> like, any time where he sees Godzilla and he doesn't react at all. Yeah, like so. All his films, they look like they roped him in while he was filming another scene, another yeah. movie. Yeah. Like while he was on his cigarette break. Like you know, just shoot these these scenes. It's like okay, fine. I've got five minutes. 
you know. And there's one scene where there's that monsoon on Odo on Odo Island, and he's he's still holding his cigarette while the monsoon is blasting. It's oh my god! It's, this whole film is just him smoking while someone explains to him what's going on. <laughs> he just looks so unbothered by god completely. Um, like he may as well be choosing what he wants off the lunch menu as much as he's looking at, at maybe, Godzilla murdering people. Maybe that's what was happening. He was in the canteen. Someone was shooting him. He was looking at the menu. They're like, we'll use that. Great shot. Do you know what I think though? It's like, and I'm sure this is probably there's a record of this somewhere. But I wouldn't be surprised if Raymond Burr had not had not seen Godzilla. Didn't yeah, had no idea all. what it was. I love. I thought um, the same thing. I yeah. loved the idea that he was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm yeah. just going to phone it in. It's either the direction of him <laughs> as an actor or his skill as an actor. So they're saying to him like, well, there's a big lizard destroying Tokyo, <laughs> and he's like, mate, I don't know what Godzilla looks like. I've never been to Tokyo. Um, Let's do it. I'm, <laughs> this is just a paycheck for me and it's like oh it's literally like there is no expression there is nothing at no. all on his face like zero he may as well be asleep it's just like <laughs> yeah so no, no. so um you may or may not know i don't know i don't know if you've seen this film but the return of godzilla this is the next one right no no so this was this was in 1984 okay okay so Basically, we had the same thing happening again. So we oh. had 1984, had Return of Godzilla, which I've not seen. No. I've seen, I don't believe I've seen it. I've seen the 1985 US version. With Raymond Burr in it. With Raymond Burr in it, again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I feel like I've got like a, yeah, you're, you're, you're picking at a very, very faint like memory in my brain where I think I've heard this before. Okay. But no, I've never seen the movie. But yeah, this idea like, oh, Steve Martin's a beloved character mm. by American Godzilla fans, so we have to bring him back. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically what they do, right? Something like that. So it's it'll be interesting when, when we eventually get to that film. Uh, 2020. Yeah, <laughs> whatever year it'll be. Whatever, yeah. um, that I, uh, I loved that. I loved that film, and at the time, I didn't realize right. that there was a just you know a Japanese version, you know the original eighty four. Right. So to me, eager to revisit now. Oh, absolutely! It should be an, an interesting watch. But you know, I was like, oh, it's the guy from fifty six. You know, he's back. You know, and I, to my knowledge, I was like, oh yeah, the, the Japanese audience must have loved his scenes, and that's why they included him. I didn't realize it was a recut version again. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. I'm glad that they refrained from, you know, they they could have made it quite campy. I think they could have added in lots of shots of people screaming and what the fifty six version. The fifty six version, sorry, yeah, you know, I think they they did what they set out to do without without ruining it. Yeah, I think it has it has good intentions entirely. Mm. Is that they wanted to just deliver um, Godzilla to America, make a ton of money off it, hopefully. Um, and there you go. And they didn't they didn't deliberately butcher the film by any means, but it is a nineteen fifties version of what America thinks a Japanese movie should be like, with all of the implied racism and sexism that you <laughs> would assume is there. So yeah, I think it's it is an overall net gain for Godzilla that this happened. Mm. But is it enjoyable? Like I would not really recommend anybody watch it unless they were obsessive about these movies as, as if you know, you, if you're short so. on time, I think the pacing's a little bit better. I don't agree with that myself, but well, it's ten minutes shorter. Uh, it doesn't feel it. <laughs> it doesn't mm, yeah, feel I suppose it. you're right. But hey, whatever. 
I had, I had to go back and actually rewatch a part of it because when I watched, I watched the American one before watching the Japanese one for this um, viewing. And I was sure that at the end, um, he says to her, uh, Ogato says to her, we can't be happy together. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's, he's going to dump her like after what just happened. <laughs> like, but th- there are many changes. And like we said earlier, like there's audio that's left out and there's the political scenes are cut out like the whole like should we make this public or not that's gone yeah that's they, not they in. include the bit where they uh where everyone was getting pretty raucous right but you couldn't hear anything anyone was saying but there you go yeah that's yeah that was it yeah because they're, they're happy to have godzilla but they don't want you to be really thinking about it in any other way other than it's a big monster they're trying to make it a 50s monster movie which it is anyway mm. um so yeah i mean this is all like you know it, it, it's definitely a, a a sin to do such a thing but yeah I think that's that's the thing with this movie is it, it serves a it serves a purpose for Godzilla along the way. It's a stepping stone to better things. Yeah, I mean that that's the extent of my thoughts on Fifty Six. Frankly, it's uh, yeah, yeah. When I first put I, it on, I don't want to sound ha- too too much of a downer on it. I, th- I think it's just because of the way we've come at it is is a bit, bit different to everyone else. Because I know a lot of people they love this film, and uh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're right to feel that way. Well, I could see if you watched it when you were younger with no awareness of what else was available, you'd find it more enjoyable. That's absolutely fine. Nostalgia is what it is. That's okay. Mm. When I first put it on, I was kind of, in, I was uh, amused by it, like the novelty of like, oh, it's like a different version of the same yeah, thing. Yeah. The first like 20 minutes or so is quite enjoyable for that reason, but it does drag on and having things just explained to you. And yeah, it's, I would liken it to when they added narration to Blade Runner, which is like a famous studio re-edit mm. where oh, we've got to have Harrison Ford telling the audience what's going on because it's really incomprehensible. Mm. It's just like, actually, no, it's not. Um, and obviously, like, in 56, you could appreciate why a studio would want to do that, less so in 1982 mm. um, with Blade Runner. So, yeah, it's that kind of thing. Where it's like, this is a curiosity at this point. I would recommend it to the the hardcore, exhaustive fans but yeah. nobody else. You know, yeah. No. Um, so, do you have a favourite moment from either film i really like the part where there's a bunch of reporters on the radio tower in tokyo and godzilla is attacking it and destroys it because i think it 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 does a great thing of characterizing these people very simplistically obviously but they have a a level of um duty they're dedicated to their their role which i think is something that i really admire real life reporters for as well Mm. um so seeing it portrayed this way like they they record the events of Godzilla's attack right to the very last moment of their own lives it's a great scene for the special effects Godzilla looks great and it really serves the movie and yeah it holds up as I think one of the more you know impactful and modern scenes yeah absolutely Uh, actually that I think is it the lead up to that shot there's a particular shot of Godzilla where it's the the way it's filmed it's almost like flickering Mm. um and the the lighting there on Godzilla, it's it, it's it's like a a true kind of horror cinematography, and that's probably my my favourite shot in the whole film is is just before that moment. Um, yeah, really, I totally agree. Uh, my I mean, my personal favourite was um, there's there's a specific shot where he's uh, you can see Godzilla's silhouette against the city on fire. Yeah, so one of the only really really wide shots, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah, and I felt like that encapsulated everything that the film was going for yeah in that exact moment um yeah so i I mean both these scenes were at the same around the same time so Mm. it's 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 that specific 
portion of the film, I think, is uh, its strongest moment. So, I have a pop quiz for you. <gasps> oh, yes. Are you ready? I guess so. Uh, <laughs> don't have much choice. It's just going to happen either way. Um, so, I came up with... Okay, we've got five five questions. Okay. Uh, question number one. So, this is, this is about 1956, actually. Uh, so, how many scenes do we see... We see how many scenes do we see Steve Martin smoking? Is it nine, ten, or eleven? It's a good tongue twister there. Yeah, <laughs> um, I would have thought it was more like fifteen or twenty to be honest with you, but I thought so too. But it was actually less than that. nine, nine, ten, or eleven. Yep. Um, I'll go with ten. Eleven. Uh, I see. It was clearly going to be eleven, but yeah, I thought, it was obviously. You know, yeah. Um, and. What's more surprising is that Burr filmed all his scenes in one day. Oh, is that so surprising? He, <laughs> no, but no, no. The fact he sparked up 11 times oh, well, in one man, day to, I, sh- to shoot them. That's what made me think it was on his cigarette breaks from another film. I used, I used to have grandparents who'd smoke like 45 cigarettes a day. Yeah, but he's probably doing that off his other scenes as well. It's just like he, 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 like, yeah, he, he, he couldn't he's stop. A, he's, got a, he's having 10 cigarettes on camera. He's probably had about... 30 more off exactly you know he's like he literally couldn't stop himself he's like sorry I've got to have another I can't go five minutes without one the stress of Godzilla's attack is putting a lot of strain really on. got to him I mean yeah that monsoon I can see why he's holding onto his cigarette oh, wow, you know take a second <laughs> uh, okay so question two how many days did it take to shoot uh, Godzilla 1954 there's no multiple choice here um, let's have a guess it's in the region of 70 days yeah, you're not far off. Because they say it on the, the commentary track. Apparently, um, it took 51 days. Really? Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I thought and it was more may, than that. It might be more with other things as well. Maybe editing. I might just be misremembering, but I remember them saying on the Criterion commentary track that it took longer than most movies, which you would assume it would. Maybe with editing as well? Maybe, that... te- maybe yeah. Maybe it was like total time spent making it. Yeah, but the actual shoot, apparently... That's yeah, yeah, the, the sound. Yeah, that's that's probably what it's which saying. I think is also incredible. Just you know, considering it took a week to boil down all those gelatin sticks to make the sea and stuff like that, it's just like, really intense. Um, yeah. So okay, question three: What was the original pitch title of the film? So this is multiple choice. Was it the giant monster from twenty thousand miles beneath the sea? Was it the terrifying beast from two hundred million years ago? Or Furious Dinosaur Tokyo Rampage. I think it's the last one. No, wrong. No. That was my very funny title. <laughs> it was the, it was the first one, Giant Monster from Twenty Thousand Miles Beneath the Sea. That's just a complete rip off of the well, Beast from and Twenty Thousand Thousands, isn't it? They, I mean, they acknowledged that. They yeah. said like they was inspired by that film. Legally like speaking, though, you can't just go around acknowledging things. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I acknowledge that I'm ripping you off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was that was the uh, idea. That was the title that Tomoyuki pitched initially. Mm, um, they ended, ended with a better title, didn't they? Yeah, definitely. So, question four: What was the estimated percentage of Japan of the population that went to see Godzilla on its release? No multiple choice here. Ooh, I'm going to say probably over eighty. Oh well, this is not going to sound very. This oh. be, no. <laughs> no, it was it was way way less than that. <laughs> okay, it was eleven percent. All right, but I'd probably be more than that. 
that's still a lot of people. Oh yeah. You know that's yeah. Uh, I've grossly yeah. overestimated. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of yeah taking the wind out of the sails on that one. <laughs> I was just thinking like you know less. There's probably less to do in '54. Probably probably played for like a year or more. You know? Yeah. Because yeah. if I'm not mistaken, didn't they make the sequel to this like pretty fast? Yeah, like, the next year. It's, yeah, like it's less than a year, I think. Even it comes out. It would have, yeah, because it came out uh, November the third mm. in '54, and then yeah, the next one. I don't know when it came out. We'll have a look. I suppose we'll cover that one next. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah. See, I, I was thinking like, yeah, it's massive. But no, <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> um, okay, so question five, last question. Godzilla was initially going to be a. Uh-huh. A giant whale, right. B, a giant octopus, or C, a giant crab. A giant octopus. You're right. Yeah. Good job. Okay, so you, you got one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was yeah that was the initial initial design concept by the um, special effects artist A.G. Subaraya. Which wouldn't have worked. No. In any, you know, anybody's imagination. No. Um, so I've also got a bit of trivia that I couldn't form into a question, but I wanted okay. to include it anyway. So there was an attempt at, an, at the first American-made like studio Godzilla in, 80, in 1983 with King of the Monsters 3D. Oh, yes. By director and producer Steve Miner. Not so, Steve Martin. Not Steve, no, not Steve Martin. Uh, he went to Toho with the idea. And managed to gain the license, but it ended up reverting back to them after he can he couldn't get funding in time. So, I mean, the synopsis is online; you can look at it on Wikipedia. But the gist is, um, a nuke hits Earth after this satellite is struck by a meteor, and then um, Godzilla's awoken. And there's there's a baby Godzilla in there, and a character called Dana Martin, based off oh, of yeah, Steve yeah. Martin, Steve Martin's daughter, or something. I don't think it actually was. Which is uh, weird. It should have been, but um, who knows the, what would have transpired? Well, yeah, and there was an island called Oto Island rather than Odo Island, which is just off of Hawaii, and it's such an obvious attempt to have a jolly to Hawaii. You know, do some on-location <laughs> yeah. shoots there. Yeah. Um, a part of me would have been curious to see it because Steve Miner um, was the director for Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, which was also in three D, and that's that what, a- that's one of my favorite films. Oh, okay, cool. I, I love that film. Um, but I'm glad it didn't happen because the guy attached to write it doesn't like Godzilla films, and he's never seen one the whole way through. So yeah, probably no wouldn't thanks. have done a very good job then. It would have been awful. So yeah, glad it didn't happen. Though to be fair, not liking Godzilla movies might give you some scope to improve upon the flaws of of what he may be justifiably criticising as a film writer because many of them are not very good. So <laughs> potentially, but then you could completely miss the point. One Absolutely. of the th- one yes. of the things we loved about GVK was like, uh, you know, it was yeah, clearly fans of the franchise. So yep. it was like, yeah. So anyway, yeah, bonus point for sitting there listening to me sandwiching some Great. trivia. Two See? points. Two points. There you go. For some reason, I thought I was doing better, but obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> Two for so many things in life. Um. So overall. I mean, I mean, it's pretty clear. I was going to say, like, what are our overall impressions here? But I mean, it's pretty clear that I love this film. You love this film as well. Uh, I I feel like it gets pretty much everything right. Mm. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, I I'd include. I wanted to include this in my overall opinion. But um, 
I mean, you already said it. Like see, seeing this again has made me notice how similar Shin Godzilla, the twenty, sure, yeah, well, I can't remember what year it was now. Sixteen, twenty sixteen, yeah. How how similar that was to fifty four. You know how they're similar similar they are to one another. Yeah. And you know Shin Godzilla felt, you know, absolutely, you know, true in tone to what they wanted to do and adopted, you know, this um, parable for a modern time. You know, with the Fukushima um, disaster. And yeah, I think it'd be quite good to watch that again after having watched Fifty Four, because it, yeah. it does feel like Shin is essentially a modern remake of of Fifty Four. That's exactly what a remake of this movie should be. You know, using some, put, giving it some modern context, um, but keeping that kind of singular monster. What does it mean? Sort of question, mm. and amping up um, the whole political element of it. Like, you know, the the whole bureaucracy behind the problem. I think, which is they have more freedom. To talk about those kind of problems today than they did back in '54, and that's what makes Shin such a good movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would um, say, to be honest, love is a bit strong for me actually on on Godzilla '54. Okay, I do really appreciate it, and I really um, have a lot of um, respect for it. And I feel like at this point in in my life, having seen many other Godzilla movies and having watched this one many many times, I really understand the the depth of it a lot more now than when I first got interested in Godzilla back, you know, in our uni days. Mm. Um, but I would r- not put this on, you know, on, uh, uh, f- for a jolly. You know, I I tend to watch it when it's um, to compare it directly to something else Godzilla related. Mm. Uh, the time I watched it before this would have been before we recorded our first episode to do um, King of King of the Monsters for the MonsterVerse. Twenty nineteen. Just to compare it like tonally, um, and I've shown m- my wife the movie before we, when we went, before we went to see. Before we went to see 2014, that mm. day, we watched this movie in the morning. We went to see Godzilla 2014 in the afternoon for a direct comparison. So I do really like it, and I've watched it many times. But yeah, I don't enjoy it in the same way I enjoy some of the other Godzilla movies. And I think I would say that I'd probably sooner watch King Kong, um, the 33 movie, if I was looking for entertainment. You know, mm. I think that movie is, is a bit... It's a, it's lighter. I think that's the thing. Um, you know. This I movie think, is, is a lot of fun in a, in a lot of ways, but it still has that like you got to think about some pretty serious stuff, and I think that that um, weighs on our minds, you know, as people who appreciate the movie to the fullest extent. That's that's fair. I mean, yeah. I think the heaviness about it is is what I appreciated most about it, mm. which what cemented it in my mind as being, in my opinion, a masterpiece. Exactly. I mean, it's. Yeah. Uh, I think it it's. Um, I think it can't be overstated how well developed it was and what a strong foundation it was for the rest of the entries into the franchise. I mean, even down to the, the you know, things like you know, when, when he's charging up his atomic breath, for example, his dorsal plates light up. Yeah, you, you know, I would think that of as being like a, a modern thing. They're like, Oh, how do we make this look cooler? You know, this is something that was like every everything you see in subsequent Godzilla movies you see in this film done pretty much perfectly yeah um but i i see what you're saying you know uh do you want to sit there and feel miserable <laughs> you know yeah. it's like <laughs> well not all the time <laughs> so. it's the same way i would put um godzilla versus kong on over shin godzilla because it's just an easier watch mm. um but i do love movies like this where you know there's a a serious element to it. It's like I, one of my favorite movies is Apocalypse Now. I really love it, mm. um, but it's not an easy watch, so I don't watch it very often, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, we we both really like it. And if you want to cover the the question of would we recommend this to first time viewers, 
Oh, it's. I think it's not a. You know, could could someone watch it? It'd be a should. Really, I think it, mm. I think it's essential viewing. I agree that yeah, if you're getting into Godzilla, like put this high on your list. I think it does depend on your audience. If somebody's saying, "Oh, I want to watch a Godzilla movie," you should put this on first, perhaps. But it depends on why they why they're interested in it. I would say that this is a good one to pair with another one, either a modern movie or one that's a lot more jovial, just so like you know you get the full kind of scope of what Godzilla is. I suppose, uh, yeah, when people think about Godzilla now, I suppose a lot of people would be like, oh, it's it's more action-oriented, it's a big monster, I want to have some fun. Yeah, so it depends so, on, on the maturity of who you're watching with in, in some ways. Like, I definitely think like... I would even say maturity, maybe you're just not into that kind of thing, or you are, you know. Well, you know, in terms of like a, a age, like a child, or... Oh, right, Or, or, the, or just the mood you're in, you mm. know. Do you want to sit and have a, have a, a thought-provoking movie viewing experience but there's also a guy in a costume like you know how are you going to come to it but, <laughs> but yeah I, I think yeah it's easy to recommend to first time viewers if you want to learn what godzilla is like why wouldn't you start here basically and would you recommend 54 or 56 <laughs> well like i said earlier i wouldn't recommend anybody watch 56 unless they were, were had an insatiable curiosity for, for godzilla or movie history as a whole or you like just it. love raymond burr yeah uh, who doesn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's got some moments where it's like oh yeah this is in, this is interesting you know but it, it is film study i think criterion made the right call putting it in the special features i wish it was more clear that that's where the film was hidden on the disc in the special features that that's part of the set's failing i think is that it doesn't really direct you that well to where things are um so listen up criterion we'll, we'll no doubt talk about it more i think uh, We've had a lot to chew on with this movie, but we, as other movies pop up, we'll probably reflect on on its contents a bit more. Yeah. Okay, so now we've got a, a new section for the podcast, which we'll refer to as Kaiju Corner and probably will from here on out, <laughs> as it's now been put out there. Um... So yeah, what's the uh, purpose of Kaiju Corner? So this is where we talk about you know miscellaneous kaiju or Godzilla-related things that we you know see out and about that are separate from the films, you know, because there's other stuff out there. What's uh, the but, footprint that Godzilla's left on culture? You might say. Oh, very good. Yes. Maybe like Kaiju Footprint or Kaiju Corner. I think I don't know. The, the names are something. Yeah. I like I like Kaiju Corner personally because <laughs> yeah. it's got the ka ka, you yeah. know, Kaiju Corner. But you know, if you know people listening, if yeah, let us know what you think. Um, come up with suggestions. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, we, there are things separate from the films that you know we'd like to mention or talk about. But you know, because these are primarily film-focused episodes, you know, we can't really find a way to bring them up a lot of the time. So we we dedicate a little section if there's something we want to talk about. Mm. Um, so for me, recently. I told you about it the other day, Graham. Uh, a preview, so, yeah, a little preview. So, I, uh, a friend of mine, told me about um, this this event in uh, here in London, where with Yokocho Ramen, it was a Godzilla crossover. So, uh, I didn't think I'd get to go because I was only told about it a few days ago, and right. I didn't think I'd get time off work. But I managed to sneak out early and go on like a bit of a date night with my partner. Lovely. So it's. Um, I mean, it's at the Hedden Street branch, which is just off of Regent Street. You know where that is. Um, 
so they had uh, yeah a Godzilla theme menu and they kind of decorated the restaurant with the like you know vintage posters and mm. you know Godzilla cutouts and staff were wearing Godzilla sweaters and they had merch and you know stuff like that so it was, it was you know looking forward to it was the food like Godzilla themed yeah so there's a it was a themed set menu right. so for your your main your ramen you could have Godzilla vol- volcano ramen which was oh. had some meat in it i'm not sure which meat it was i can't remember could have been chicken a meat uh yeah, a meat that's what my partner had and it's I usually had... pork isn't it like it, oh you know it was pork there we yes, go you she got said the that expert here yeah yeah so i mean my partner loves pork so yeah <laughs> she liked that aspect of it um and i had the because i'm vegetarian i had the the other one which is the kaiju volcano ramen uh and it was hella spicy right you would have loved it. Mm, I probably would have gone for the veggie if I was if I was there. Um, I've started to eat veggie stuff more frequently out and about. Like if I go for a katsu curry, I tend to go for the the, the veggie option now. That less said than the chicken because I love my meat, but um, it's just better for the environment. You know, if we could just cut down meat consumption. Yeah. So I probably would have would have shared in your spicy ramen oh, bowl there. There you go. Um, so yeah, that was that was the main. Uh, then you have a drink, t- uh, two drinks to choose from. So there's Wake Me Up in Tokyo or the Sunrise Melon Soda. So the Wake Me Up in Tokyo was a whiskey based cocktail, mm. which was actually really really tasty, really sweet. Nice. Um, and the Sunrise Melon Soda was a non alcoholic <clears throat> cocktail, basically tasted like those watermelon um, lollipops you used to get, you know, when you were a kid. You know, the watermelon flavored pops. I've had watermelon flavored Jolly Ranchers, and they are yeah, delish, like that. So yeah. I imagine, yeah. And I, I love, I love a watermelon, watermelon flavoring. Oh, it you was, could just dispute how true to watermelon it is. Oh, absolutely. Delish, yeah, it was. So. It was that sweet in a glass, basically. Mm. It was nice. And for dessert was uh, King of the Monsters matcha cheesecake, or a or the uh, Mothra's favorite mochi ice cream. So we were really excited. And I couldn't wait to get there. And so we, we got there and maybe I shouldn't harp on about it too much, but it it was disappointing. It oh. was a it was a letdown. Um so I mean, first thing, my drink came eventually. And it didn't include the Godzilla decal on it, which was what is you know, the is the wake me up in Tokyo one. So it was meant to mm. look like Godzilla, you know, against the skyline in this like kind of red dot. And it's supposed to be on top of the drink, but the drink came. And, and you get to keep that, I assume. Yeah, uh, like... you, you eat it. Oh, wait, right, okay. Yeah, it's like a it's like a sugary wafer type, yeah, thing. So yeah, didn't didn't come with that. Disappointing. Uh, tried to order some no- some other drinks. She never came back to see us. Um, oh, wow. So we kind of had our our ramen, and we were sat there for nearly two hours before we saw Gosh. this woman again. And, Jesus and w- when she surfaced again, she was like, guys, you need to leave soon. Yeah, we're closing. We're like, wait, you didn't bring us our desserts. Right. She's like, oh, right. So she ran out, grabbed the desserts. And like, while we had a mouthful of food, she's like, oh, can you pay? I was like, okay, fine. Mm. So paid really quickly. And I mean, the main reason, well, not the main reason, one of the reasons we wanted to go was to get ourselves some merch. Yeah. And to get you something. Oh, thank because, you. Because, you, know, you, know, you know, you know, you know, you know. I can see where this is going, though. <laughs> you're in a different city. Um, <laughs> Not going to get anything. You're getting nothing, mate. <laughs> nothing. 
So we said like, oh, I know like you're closing now, but you know, you forgot about us for two hours, but we still want to buy some stuff. Can we buy some stuff? And she's like, no, nah, till's closed. I'm like what? This is my hell. I, I, such a pet peeve in life is when you want to give somebody money and they won't let you. I would have emptied my wallet. If there was something I didn't own, I would have bought it. Right. They've got the the the, the Godzilla magnate is here. Yeah. And they're not taking his money. Like, this is just like, yeah, the stum. Um if I yes. if I could be devil's advocate, maybe offer some I don't want to hear it. Well, you said you went on like the last day, right? Okay, now okay. I yeah, I should So I'm just, cave- I'm just a saying, here. So like the, the decal I asked about it. Yeah. On the on the drink and they said, Well it's the last day, we don't have any. Right. Fine. Maybe like, this it, lady's just fine. had a feel of it, you know. Actually that wasn't her. Oh. We we asked someone else because she like dropped it and ran. I think because she knew I was gonna ask. But yeah, I mean the other staff were nice, in fairness. Um yeah. so yeah, there's that that element of it. Um one of the staff did say, oh, you know, if there's some merch you want, you could try your luck on the Japan Center site to see oh, if right. there's something you you still want. But honestly, I was so soured by it all. It was it was such a letdown. I'm That's a like, disappointment, nah. yeah. That yeah. is a shame. So yeah. m- maybe if I feel a bit better about it in a week or so, maybe I'll have a look at the Japan Center site, see what I could have got you and maybe get you something. But, oh, well, uh, I appreciate that. It was, yeah, I mean, my partner she posted about it on instagram and yokocho actually replied mm. and we're like oh what happened so we kind of told them what happened and we've not heard back yet so maybe uh, but maybe by the next podcast episode in the next kaiju corner i'll i can give you all an update kaiju um, crevice ka- oh god <laughs> <laughs> don't get in there um yeah i just say like these people who work at pop-ups they're probably like they're contracted on for like a week or two no no no, no? this is this this is a um this is a place that this isn't a pop-up oh, store it's not? Oh, okay. no it's, it's it's a ramen place they I just had it... a godzilla themed menu and oh, so you could go back decorations oh yeah yeah oh right well you might get a free meal out of it if we keep complaining <laughs> but yeah <laughs> it's, I just, it's what i do best there's no excuse for the experience you've had honestly because it's not your fault you've gone there to spend some money let the guy spend some money. Yeah, but, you know these people who work in 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 um, hospitality, they can have sometimes they may have just had a bad day. I don't know. I don't I, know. Yeah, totally. I mean, but yeah, it's you, not fair. Not everyone's going to be a hundred percent the whole time. Yeah. You know, it's you know I'm certainly guilty of that when it comes to work. You know, there are some days <laughs> where I don't want to speak to another human being, oh, but yeah. I have to. So, you know, I, I I totally get it. But it was you know disappointing. It was disappointing. Well, that's a shame. Oh well, another dream crushed. <laughs> so that's that's what i've got for kaiju corner i thought i was really excited i was like oh i'm gonna bring this up it's gonna be great to talk about i'm gonna surprise graham with a bit of merchandise uh-huh. but you know, sadly not to be that's a shame that is a shame so yeah now the event's over now i did i did i mention that i can't remember yeah i think that's how i got it in my head that it was a pop-up yeah so the the Oh, so it's, yeah. a, it's a ramen cafe, but the Godzilla thing was a timed event. Yes, exactly. I get. It. I get. It. Yeah. Okay. So the, the menu's over now. Um, I, I did ask what they were doing with the posters. They were saying, "Oh, they're going to send them back to the warehouse." So no posters. They either. fucking didn't, though, mate. <laughs> they're in the they're in the dustbin outside the, the probably restaurant. Um, yeah. So that's my uh, that's my side of Kaji Corner. What about what about you? Well, um, mine's a bit different, and. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd, I'd speak at something because I knew you were going to bring up this this um, ramen cafe thing, so I went mm. for something a bit different. I, there's Ooh. a I've got a movie 
element we were talking about the old movies. I thought it's about a new movie. Okay. Um, so I'm going to try to be very light with spoilers because I'm talking about Turning Red, which is a... Oh, yeah. The Pixar. It's film. a pretty recent Pixar movie. It just came out like a couple of weeks ago at the time of recording. So it's, it's kind of new. So I don't want to spoil it for people because if you haven't seen it, I would really, really recommend it. It's a very good movie. Basically, the, the, basically, the premise is that it's about a young girl who starts turning into a giant red panda. And all of this is like a, a metaphor for her uh, transition through puberty. And mm-hmm. it's a very... Um, it's, is it, are we talking kaiju big? Well, this is the thing. This is the right. thing. Okay. Um, it, it's a very thoughtful and, and well-made movie. And I really, really liked it. I would recommend it to everybody. Um, and towards the end, again, spoilers... But there is some very large kaiju size red panda action going on. Okay. And I really liked it, not just because it reminded me of Godzilla, and there's a lot of obviously um, the main characters of the movie, they're Chinese, and there's a lot of Asian influence on the film. It's been made by um, a partially Asian creative team within Pixar. Um, is it the, the whole, first? Like, is this the first female director for a Pixar film? As I believe so. S- solely, not like the whole Brave incident. Yeah, last one's across the finish line at least for, yeah. for a female at the, the helm. That's good. But, but yeah, it wears its Asian influences on its sleeve basically. So seeing this sort of kaiju Godzilla thing in there was not, you know, that big of a surprise, but it was like a nice like, oh, you know, we're seeing sort of Godzilla's influence. And the mm. reason it's 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 um, it worked so well, in my opinion, was because they're not doing it purely superficially. Um, much like the way Godzilla uh, is always best when it's allegorical or metaphorical or, or showing you something or, or presenting some kind of idea, it's when the the panda gets really really large. It's it's playing out for um, it's a visualization of the conflict between mother and daughter or the the internal conflict that families right. can create when people don't listen to each other. Um, people can, can harbor resentment or get pent up and it just builds and builds and builds and becomes like this big thing and yeah um so ah. there's a part of that in the finale of the movie um that's quite interesting to have that kind of you know oh um what can a kaiju represent exactly represent nuclear war exactly. or internal conflict or you know f- family struggles or whatever mm. that's that's interesting yeah the movie's really really good it's very female centric and i felt that taking Asian influence and the kaiju and, and Godzilla and applying that to a, a feminine specific problem was really really smart and they they used they they chose their tools wisely and executed their ideas very very well so yeah I think that Turning Red is by far the best Pixar movie of the last ten years or so it's probably one of the better movies Disney put out for a, a long time um, wow. so yeah I'd really recommend it and it has a really cool action scene at the end so worth so looking around for kaiju movie of the year could be. <laughs> Um, unless Anne Hathaway's got something cooking, but <laughs> well, that's that's my kaiju. What was it corner? Kaiju Ka- corner. Kaiju cushion. Yeah. Cushion. Yeah. Hmm. My kaiju cushion for the day. <laughs> okay. No, that's uh, that's cool. Um, I mean, I you know I've said to you before, I I went off Pixar a long time ago. I they've been felt... in the yeah. They've been going for a bad time. Uh, yeah, not acting like oh, you know, I'm above kids' movies. That's not what I'm saying. No. It's more, it's more the behind the scenes. The studio direction was not good. The movies yeah. they've been turning out have been quite cynical. For, yeah, for a long it's, time. So it's for a long time. It's it's just not sat well with me. Mm. Um, and I find it, I find it very difficult when I see even Pixar's attached to something. It actually, I find it puts me off. Um, maybe this is the film to kind of pull me back in. 
I really think you'd like it. Um, I know that your partner's going to like it when when you get around mm. to watching it. Um, and yeah, I think the last uh, two or three Pixar movies that come out have been actually really, really good. Soul was great. wasn't like a, their best work, but it's it's creeping back. And I think you could easily put Turning Red. Um, it's yeah, in with the best of them. I think yeah, it's really, really good. So excellent. Would recommend. Mm. Great music as well. Really good soundtrack. Very funny movie. Okay. But I thought it was it was a good idea to bring up a brand new film because we're talking about the oldest Godzilla. So it ties a nice little little package on this episode for you. And puts a nice little high note on the end of uh, the Kaiju Corner. Mm. Which is, yeah, that's, that's good. Lovely. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, wow, we've been talking for quite some time now. Um, <laughs> so shall we wrap it up here? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, so where can people find you, Graham? Where can they find me? On the next episode of Monster Island Radio is where they'll be finding me, which we've promised to record in less than 12 months' time. That is a promise. That is a guarantee. Um, the Godzilla guarantee. Um, <laughs> so uh, so for me, if you want to see some of my drawings, you can follow me uh, on Instagram. It's Ben MR Hall. That's my handle. If you want to follow us this podcast on Instagram, it's Monster Island Radio. And we have a Twitter, which is Monster Island RP. Um, so, because we've been inactive for the last since last year, April, I think. Since, really. well, I think it's to the day. This is we, the last episode we recorded was exactly one year ago. Ugh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what we said? I know. Sorry, guys. This is I couldn't tell you anything I've done in the last year. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, so I, I, I noticed like recently, uh, we had quite a few quite a few uh, people reaching out saying, you know, where are we? When's the next episode? And for some reason, I didn't get any of those notifications. Uh, I actually had to look back at our, you know, videos and messages and stuff to see that people had actually asked us. So mm. apologies for not getting back to any of you until recently. Appreciate um, the interest. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, we we will not be away this long again. It was just uh, unfortunate timing with a lot of things happening. Um phew. You know it happens so but yeah we'll, we'll we'll be back again so uh yeah thanks for listening everyone i guess in the, the next episode we do i mean that'll be after your honeymoon right so you can hopefully you, yeah you can tell us all about it then yeah will i see king kong where i'm going could do let's find could out do. no 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 secrets you know maybe he'll be there <laughs> um i'm gonna ask him why he wasn't at the wedding yeah might be a bit awkward but um yeah, what is it next? Godzilla rides again? Is that raids, was... raids again. Raids again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, okay, I haven't yeah, seen so... that one before. So neither have I. All right. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, until the next episode, everyone. Bye. Bye.